you. Um, to set the tone for this uh, meeting, I, um, I actually haven't picked a reading for today, but I'd like to um, suggest we open with the uh, serenity prayer in the uh, we form, if you would like to join me. God, grant us the to accept, to accept the things we can't change, courage, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to, wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Uh, the topic of tonight's meeting is working step four with a sponsee part two, and we're on to uh, fear and sex part inventory. And Tim will share anything between 30 and 45 minutes on the topic, after which the floor will be open for questions rather than the typical sharing. Uh, and with that, I will now hand over to Tim. Thank you. Right, so I'm just gonna share the screen or a screen. There we go. Hopefully the big book has appeared in front of you. And we're on page 67. So I think we've, we've finished the re resentment inventory, haven't we, Alistair? Yeah, okay. So the, the fear inventory, I'm not going to read out all of this, um, but look at the practical side of things. So we review our fears thoroughly. So what we do here, um, we've already listed a whole bunch of fears in uh, one of the answers, uh, in the answers to one of the page 67 questions. So you can take the fears from there and just transfer them onto a new sheet of paper and then brainstorm. In other words, say, what am I frightened of? And I, I find when I do this, so I suggest this to other people, in half an hour, you can really come up with everything. If you really scour your mind and something doesn't come up in the first half hour, it's not important. Um, one of the important things, and this is a, a good point with uh, step four generally, I think uh, a lot of people in AA, I think, have got obsessive compulsive disorder and express that in how they work the program. And so there's this, this notion that it has to be sort of thoroughly exhaustive. The point here, we're going to be getting rid of fear completely or, or at least starting to grow out of it. Uh, and so all of the tiny minutiae are, not, are neither here nor there. What we, all we want to get a sense of here is the fact there is a whole load of fears and people normally don't have much trouble getting a handle on uh, the fact there is a whole load of fears there. Um, so you've, you've got a list from your page 67 questions. You brainstorm to complete it. Then there's a simple question. We asked ourselves why we had them. Now, the great thing about this instruction is that we don't need to uh, uh, really come up with an answer ourselves because he gives us the answer in the next time. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Now, you could just let it go at that uh, and, and start to examine, as I will do in a moment, what it means to say that self-reliance failed us. But what I found useful in unpacking my own fears, so I help sponsees do this, is to, to when you're frightened of something, it's very rarely the thing itself you're actually frightened of. It is uh, what lies behind it, in other words, uh, uh, the, if you tip a, if you flick a domino over in a line of dominoes, one by one, all of the other dominoes topple until the last domino falls, and then the domino toppling ceases. And we're after what the final domino is. Um, and the, the, I sort of hate to give you a spoiler here, but I think the spoiler it it, it almost always boils down to feeling bad basically feeling bad because you're lonely feeling bad because you're worthless feeling bad because you've wasted your life uh, the, the fact of emotional pain itself the fact of um, physical pain the fact of death there's not really a great number of these and everything boils down to one of those so if you're frightened of being criticized at work why because I might lose my job well, so what? 
well, I wouldn't have any money. So what? Well, I'd, I wouldn't have enough to live. So what? I'd be, I'd have physical pain. I'd have inconvenience. Um, uh, what else? I, I would be thought of as a failure by others. Therefore, I'd think of myself as a failure. And you th- as soon as you get to the thing which is bad in itself, you found the last one. And people normally come up with a list of somewhere between four and uh, ten of these. Um, the point of that exercise I explain to people is that you want to see that although it looks as though you're scared of 47,000 things, if you can, uh, uh, if you can capture the idea, capture lots and lots of different fears in single ideas, like I'm frightened of being a failure, I'm frightened of physical pain, I'm frightened of emotional pain, you discover you don't have 47,000 fears, you've got seven or four and that's suddenly immediately easier to deal with because well first of all you know the nature of the beast when you're frightened of 47,000 different things in your life it feels like you're you're it, it, it it's like helm's deep being overrun in the two towers it's it's it, you know the orcs are everywhere and there are more coming whereas if you've got if you if you manage to corner the four you know, the, the four main culprits or the five main culprits, you've got a chance of doing something about it. And I mentioned this, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Now, this is a terribly important line. Um, Bill doesn't um, put this line up for discussion or debate. He states it as a fact in the form of a rhetorical question to which the only acceptable answer is, yes, of course it is, Bill. <laughs> That's the only possible reason. And so I think one has to proceed as one does in contract law on the basis of good faith. You, you, you proceed assuming that Bill is writing in good faith and that what he says is true. Um, uh, so we've got to find an understanding of, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us, which is true for all fears, and not just some of them, otherwise it's no good. It's no good having an explanation for some of them. Now, um, very clearly, if you've got a person that refused, as I did when I was younger, I refused to accept help. Because if you helped me do something, the resultant achievement was not attributable to me. It was attributable in part to your help. And the only reason for doing anything was to be impressive. So I mustn't be helped by anyone or I'm defeating the purpose, which is to be impressive through my own efforts. Uh, And of course, if you refuse to be helped, your results will be terrible because you're having to reinvent things which other people are succeeding at because they're willing to be helped and guided. And it's pretty clear if you if you try and make all of your decisions in your life without any guidance, you're going to make some pretty crappy decisions. Terrible things will happen and you're going to be frightened because you're not so stupid as to believe that the same things are not going to continue happening. If you, if you keep having catastrophe after catastrophe, it makes sense that you're going to continue having catastrophes. So fear is an obvious consequence of relying on yourself in the sense of not... Um, uh, not accepting help or guidance from others. But but there are all sorts of situations where you, you're a good boy or a good girl and you keep your nose clean and you do everything right and you manage your affairs in an accomplished, effective, efficient, harmonious way. And yet still the world can get you. Disease can strike, tragedy can strike, all sorts of things can happen. And one I certainly, most of my fears are around security. They're not around ambition. They used to be around ambition and pride. Uh, now, they're, they're, if I have them, they're about security. And there is no way you can be effective enough to secure yourself against any possible event in the world, as my, as my best friend reminds me on a regular basis. If the sun decides to emit a major gamma ray burst, then we're all toast anyway in a matter of seconds. Um, you, you can't stop the fact that the universe is expanding and is at some point going to reach absolute uh, something near to absolute zero spread with everything spread out at, at, at infinite distances from everything else before the whole thing collapses. 
Uh, there's a Woody Allen film where a kid, seven-year-old kid, refuses to do his homework because he discovers that the universe is endlessly expanding and he finds it such a depressing notion that he, um, his, his whole life is, is rendered impossible. So being, being a company, and, and, and this is, I think, the big mistake that people make, I certainly made it, and most people, I think, make it, in the first few years in AA, of using the programme to become competent and effective and accomplished in order to keep the wolves at bay. Like if, if I handle life successfully enough, I will get rid of fear. Of course, it, it doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I've been and I've met people who are you know, married and comfortable and have a good income and you, know, you make a whole list and still you wake up in the morning frightened. So it's very clear that sorting your life out doesn't get rid of fear. However well you're relying, even if you're relying on God and other people, there is something else going on here. And I, I alluded, I may have covered it briefly last week, but I'll reiterate, reiterate it because I think it's important. What is self? Well, this my sponsor talks about self with a capital S, which is who we really are which is extensions of spirit. So if God is the source, we are the extensions of that. And, and being spirit, we are non-corporeal. Uh, we are consciousness. Uh, we are love. We cannot be hurt in the material realm, but we happen to be inhabiting physical bodies for the time being uh, with a role to perform, which is given to us by the higher power, not which we have derived ourselves. What is self? The book on page ooh, 61 equates the word self with ego. Now, I'm not going to, I don't think we want to talk about ego in the Freudian sense because that's different. But ego in the spiritual sense, uh, either Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, right? Uh, I think it's he who describes it thus uh, ego is false mind made images of self, false mind-made images of self. So there's any concept of me which is something other than spirit. Now, what could that be? It could be uh, identification with, so it's basically self, which is the problem, is when I identify myself with my physical form, the circumstances of my life, my virtues or defects, my accomplishments and failures, my popularity or lack thereof, who I construe myself to be as I discern it in other people's reaction to me. Uh, I'm in a hundred things outside of myself. A friend of mine made amends to a girl for pouring vinegar on her sofa and then drinking her champagne, which she kept for a special occasion. Um, and the girl said with regard to the vinegar on the sofa and with regard to the champagne, I can't believe you did that to me. And what really struck me, it's a perfectly ordinary turn of phrase. I can't believe you did that to me. Whereas what's very illustrative is that those actions were not done to her. They were done to her sofa and to her bottle of champagne. So in order to say you did that to me, You've got to have confused yourself. You've literally confused yourself with a sofa. You see the sofa, you think it's you. So if someone comes along and does something to the sofa, they've done something to you. This is a state of profound confusion. Yet which of us, when we get some sort of splash of spaghetti sauce on our white shirt, doesn't feel embarrassed or what a fool that we look. People are looking at us, no, they're looking at you. They're looking at the splatter on your shirt and you think it's you. Or if the splatter is further down, it's even more embarrassing. Um, so the, the, the problem, if I rely for my identity, my value and my purpose on anything outside myself, in other words, anything in the world, I'm going to be frightened because the world is volatile and unpredictable and mercurial and dangerous. So the only way to be rid of fear is to be rid of self, in other words, to be rid of this false mind-made image of self, which means I still get to have all of those things. I still get to have a job and a, inverted commas, career and a house and family and people and so on. But 
I cease to be identified with those. So although I would prefer not to lose them, if anything is lost, so be it. I'm fine. Like if you lose your mobile phone, your ability to communicate is not diminished by that. It's just inconvenienced. And there's a big difference between the two. Um, so that, that's how I take people through the, the, the fear inventory. It, the, the, about 5% of the benefit comes from writing it and about 95% comes from trying to understand that line, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Uh, now to the fear solution. And just with the, as with resentment, when we looked at resentment, we use that as a springboard for the solution. So it's terribly important. A lot of people in AA write about resentment. So often you, you, you know, someone will phone you, Clive will phone you up and, and so oh, I've got a terrible resentment. And you say, well, what are you doing about it? So, well, I've written about it as though the mere fact of writing about it is supposed to eliminate it. And of course it doesn't. It, it, it may go some way, but it's the spiritual actions on the top of page 67 which eliminate the resentment and it's the same with fear and uh, it's got some ideas here which pretty much speak for themselves but we've got an instruction here um uh they trust their god that's an instruction uh, what does that mean that means uh, i trust uh, uh, in the, the notions that I spoke about before, which is that if I'm an extension of spirit, I'm perfectly safe. I'm, I'm kept safe by God. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. And what I get people to do, well, which is what I do myself, is simply to uh, take the thing that I'm frightened of in the world or the situation, usually a situation, it's best to do this on situations and say, right, God, what would you have me do in this situation? What would you have? What would you have my attitude be? What would you have my actions be? And as soon as I flip to consciously, deliberately adopting and reinforcing the corrective attitude, and I throw myself wholeheartedly into the corrective behavior, my experience is the fear starts to go. Um, I'm sure you've had sponsees who are, oh, I don't know, uh, one, two, five, 10, 15, 20, or 30 years sober, who phone you up very plaintively saying, well, I'm full of resentment and I'm full of fear, as though, as though the individual is a sort of great big vase or, 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 a, or a, a punch bowl into which some unkind soul has has poured this sort of viscous liquid of resentment and fear such that one is now full of it i'm now full of it the truth is i'm the one that's doing it the the actual aa program we get to practice in terms of solutions starts on page 63 by page 68 middle of page 68 which is uh, what four and a half pages in it has given us a total and adequate and sufficient solution, both to resentment and to fear. So from this point onwards, I'm now given back a choice as to whether I let resentment and fear into my life. Resent the temptation to think resentful thoughts, to think fearful thoughts, to engage in either. The temptation will keep coming because the ego is pre-installed. It's factory installed software. You can't get rid of it off the hard drive. Uh, it's going to, it's like McAfee. It throws up, you know, those, have you done this? Have you done that? What about doing it? You know, it, it's going to send you suggestions the whole time. But it's, I'm the one that's responsible for whether or not I pick up on that. So it's, it's very important not to, I think, not to view oneself as a victim of, of resentment and fear, um, not letting them in and then expelling them if one accidentally lets them in. Uh, of course, that happens like vampires. You know, we, we you a uh, vampire knocks on the door they seem so charming and within a few minutes you know they've been let in they're biting your neck someone went to a therapist and told them about a situation that the therapist said didn't you see the red flags and the person says oh yes I did I thought it was a carnival so there are times when one accidentally um 
gives in to the temptation to either resent or fear. Of course, I still do it. So the question is not, oh, my God, I've got a new resentment. I have a new fear. I don't know what to do. It's the same resentment and fear as before. It's just wearing a new hat and it's, it's got different wonky makeup. That's all that's going on. It's the same solution. My job is simply to practice it. So what I want to impress on people at this point in the program is they now have a solution to resentment. They now have a solution to fear. It's simply a matter of getting muscular in implementing these solutions. Uh, now about sex. Um, uh, I'll get to the end of the sort of presentation-y stuff um, and then uh, we'll do the, the questions on the remainder of step four. Um, so this is obviously the most distasteful of the three <laughs> inventories so far. Um, uh, I, and I said, but actually I think it's the most straightforward of the three. Um, uh, we've reviewed our own conduct. So we're not interested in internal narrative or, or, or analysis or anything like that. We're interested in behavior only. From a practical point of view, I get people to write a list of people they've had relationships with. Um, at STD clinics, sometimes they have a form for you to fill out. It's how many partners have you had since your last visit? And it's like naught, one, two, three to five, six to 10, 11 to 100, 101 to 1,000, more than 1,000. <laughs> so sometimes people have, have got um, a lot of time on their hands and get up to a lot of mischief. Now, people obviously very um, uh, alarmed at this point that they're going to have to rehash the gory details of, of, of endless um, ex escapades. Uh, now, of, of course, the major relationships need to be looked at individually, although the, you know, boss level hack is they're probably all the same in terms of conduct. People's playbook usually doesn't vary very much unless you're extending over a very long period of time. But then, you know, to, to, to bundle together the one night stands, to bundle together the colleagues you've uh, mistakenly flirted with, uh, the people whose sexual advances you have rebuffed, um, how you behave in terms of how you look at people in public. You can, you can group uh, the behavior under categories so that there aren't that many things to write about. And this is simply, this is a, a good straightforward in inventory. Where have we been selfish? That's where I put my interests ahead of someone else's. Dishonest. That's outright uh, uh, deceit, telling lies, misrepresentation, omission or delusion or inconsiderate, a, a outright failure to consider someone else's interests. Who would we hurt? Um, did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? That's interesting. The reason it's unjustifiably is because... Uh, there are times when innocent action will arouse jealousy, suspicion and bitterness in people who, before we met them, were already jealous, suspicious and bitter. And, are, and, and so the, a typical thing is when someone, you know, goes to AA meetings and their other half comes back sort of um, sniffing their collars to see who they've been uh, cavorting with at the AA meeting. So we're interested in unjustifiable arousing of those things. Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? If you don't know what you should have done instead, wait till you finish the step four, deal with that in the step five. So if people can't figure it out, that's fine. Most people can't. So if the po an important point with step four, nothing counter but honesty and thoroughness, which means, you know, accuracy and lots of other wonderful qualities well if you can make it accurate great but if you if, if if it's the best you can come up with that's okay too which i think is an interesting take my job is to systematically ask myself a bunch of questions and having asked the questions and listened quietly to the answers that my own mind gives me writing them down if you ask the questions you sit quietly you listen for the answers, you write them down, you've done a good job. 
even if it's a dog, even if it's actually a dog's dinner, you've done your part. Yeah, you can spend the rest of your life getting it kind of accurate and neat and tidy and categorized and alphabetized and the Harvard outline. You don't need to do that at this point. The main job here is to be thorough and accurate. Now, the next bit is the, uh, uh, we're really hitting gold here. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test, was it selfish or not? And, and here's the key. We asked God to mold our ideals for what attitudes and actions or beliefs, thinking and actions. Sometimes attitudes and actions, AA, is the simplest way of doing it. Um, uh, we asked God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed. Um, and then it talks about a very interesting, a couple of interesting points. Um, whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to go toward it. And then in treating, in other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. Now, it hasn't told you in the book so far, this is how you handle a problem. But now it tells you how to handle sex. Is it, oh, by the way, in other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In other words, you can reverse engineer this and say, oh, oh, so this is how I handle a problem. I go to God. I ask God, what is my ideal here? What attitude should I adopt? What action should I take? I'm not going to get it right straight away, but I'm willing to grow towards it. And so uh, we're now, what are we, page 69? We're now six pages into the program and we have an adequate, sufficient and complete solution. A, to resentment. B, to fear. Three, to problems. We're six pages in and there is never any need to ever really have a resentment, a persistent resentment, fear or problem again. Six pages in. It, it's, it's not hiding this anywhere. And it's uh, the reason I, I'm harping on about that is because uh, the ego casts a sort of spell of amnesia. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with a sponsee where you explain something very carefully and then 30 seconds later they say something and they understand it. They totally get it. 30 seconds later, they, sh they say something to indicate that the, the, the information has already been deleted. Just got It's just gone. And you're like, oh, my God, you've totally circled back to the original problem. And it's like nothing has been said. So whilst you're like building structures, the ego is on the other side of the structure. Whilst you're putting bricks and mortar, the ego is on the other side with this little team of, of munchkins. Um, no disrespect to small people. I'm pretty small myself. The, the, mun the ego's munchkins are on the other side, hacking away at the mortar, removing the bricks. And so unless you're working really hard at this, your ego is just going to delete everything that you're learning. You've really got to work hard to keep the structures that are being built in place. And now I was like this at many years, sober, not just basically forgetting I already have a solution to resentment. I already have a solution to fear. I literally already have a solution to problems. Now, exactly what the ideal is in a situation, that's different. That can be complex sometimes. But the basic structure is there. Write this down somewhere useful. A, fr a, a, a friend of mine in AA used to write everything on post-it notes and they were around his whole flat in the bathroom, in the kitchen, just reminding him to do basic things because of the ego's perpetual deletion mechanism. Um, what else is it important to... Um, talk about here i don't i i mean one could talk endlessly about those i think those are the basic instructions i give people for the step for the step four uh the last thing i'd say um is uh, this is a very important line on 71 if you've already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps whatever they are you have made a good because <laughs> some are grosser than others you have made a good beginning 
And I think this is really good evidence that they didn't want you to take four years doing this and to have ring binders full of material. You want to get a basic handle on what the problem is so you can get it out in step five. Um, and step five is going to be the next topic. I've got a couple of corkers, but I'm going to, I'm going to leave them for then. So I'm going to stop there on the presentation side of things. Um, Alistair, would you like to field some questions? Thanks very much, Tim. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, with that, um, I'll now open the meeting up for questions, which can be done by raised hand function in Zoom, or you can message me through the chat function, and I will ask Tim directly. If all else fails, please uh, wave your hand um, at the camera, and I will try to come to you. And um, yeah, with that, oh, there's, yeah, James has a question already. And to you, James. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you, Tim, uh, for that presentation. It was great uh, to hear you. And the thing that struck me when you were talking about uh, at the beginning um, of, of the meeting, when you were explaining this idea that we are spirit, we are not physical beings, uh, we, have, we, we are not our body, but we um, begin to realise that... Uh, we have a body, but we're not a body, that we're not, uh, that our identity has been in the physical world, in the material world. And what the book is beginning to, or is explaining to us is that actually we are spiritual beings. And my question is this, I've had experiences where I've gone through the process with, um, with a person and they may be, we'll look at this and I'll try to discuss this with them. And I kind of, they just don't understand what I'm talking or they just look at me blankly or they'll say yes and then just change the subject and we'll go back to it and I think the reason I'm asking this is because for for me and for probably I think for quite a lot of people it's quite a revolutionary concept it's a pretty different way of looking at reality from when we're drinking and my question is do you think it's useful to suggest things like Eckhart Tolle or to uh, or other spiritual literature to help people begin to realize this? Or do you think it's best to just keep going through the process? And, and like you said later on in, the, in your presentation, we need to remind ourselves of these things because the ego just will just, we'll just forget them. That's it. Those are, there are lots of questions in there. <laughs> so I'll deal with them systematically if I can. So first of all, to see things differently, you've got to want to see things differently. If you don't want to see things differently, you're not going to, you're going to resist. Why would someone, so the question is, uh, with the willingness side of things to see things differently, um, there's a there's a little basic set of corrective measures you can apply. Um, so you, you say to the person, do you like how you feel? Well, no, I don't like how I feel. Okay, good. We've got that one sorted. So you don't like how you feel. Is it safe to say that how you feel is coming from how you view the world? Because, well, other people see the same world in a different way and feel differently. So, so yes, it's, it's um, people can usually are usually down with that. They, they, they can usually come up with some examples of situations where different people look at the same situation in a different way and have a different experience of it. Um, you, know, you know, when you go to a, a hotel and you have a lovely time and then you read the hotel reviews afterwards and you wouldn't recognise the hotel from the description or the other way around, you have a terrible experience and all these wonderful reviews. So if you can establish that uh, the way the person feels, the way I feel is to do with the way I'm looking at things, you don't go, well, look at it like this instead. No, you have to go there bit by bit. You say, first of all, wouldn't it be to your advantage to look at things differently? Wouldn't you want to look at, I, I'm not saying you're willing to look at things differently, but 
don't you kind of hope you could look at this differently? I mean, because you might be happier then. <laughs> Do you want to be happy? Do you remember you said you wanted to be happy? Do you still want to be happy? So you gradually edge towards it. And then you say, well, do you think maybe there is a different way of looking at this? And then maybe you do want to have that. Do you actually want that different way of looking at things? And then what can you hurt? What could it hurt to ask how to look at this differently? And then when it's presented, what? Well, how about you just try it for a while? Try looking at things differently for a while and see what results you get so you don't with these ideas you don't analyze them as, as Earl Purdy says analyzes anal lies you you you, you don't want to I know sorry about that I don't know if you've had your tea yet um, uh, but you don't want to analyze the ideas you want to see if the ideas are understood in principle because often these spiritual ideas, although they're radical, they're actually remarkably simple. Uh, they're just unwelcome. Make a distinction between that which is not understood and that which is not welcome. Now, to move from having this sort of theoretical understanding to lived experience, you've got to then do it. Like if you described um, France to someone who has never been to France. There is no way you could adequately describe it. You've actually got to go to France to experience what Parisians are like, to actually, to, <laughs> if ever you've been to or lived in Paris, you'll know what I mean by that. Um, I say that having a Parisian side of the family, uh, needless to say. Um, but the point is, you can describe something your heart's content but the person won't understand it until they experience it so trying to get it fully understood before they apply is not going to work do you understand the idea uh there are ways into this idea that you are not your body um that you are you you go in via the notion of consciousness so you look at the fact that you get someone for instance sit for a few minutes and just ob observe their thoughts from the outside the thoughts that their mind throws at them from the outside and say so you say okay so you you're now describing the thoughts that you've just had and the experience you had of having those thoughts so who is the you that is observing the thoughts it can't be the thought there's something else going on here. You look at the fact that, uh, and this, the, the triple notion of identity, value, and purpose. Who are you? How much are you worth? Uh, and what's your purpose? Um, the value thing is a good way. Uh, that's usually the most, the, the simplest way in, is it's very common for people to, to report having low self-worth. Uh, or, or to report their, their opinion that other people are of inferior worth one way or another. And then you get, and this example always works. You give them an example, you know, when you're out and about and you see a little, little class of primary school children being sort of led and shepherded on some sort of expedition somewhere with their little jerkins all holding hands. And it's always completely delightful up to a certain age, of course. So after that age, it becomes obnoxious. But so, so yeah, up to, this is why I say primary school to children, not 15-year-olds. So, you know, when they're four, five, six, seven, and you say to the person, well, do you think those children each have a different worth? Or do you think they're all of infinite worth? Do you think they're all infinitely valuable? And everyone, I've never met anyone that has a problem with that idea that all of those little children are of infinite worth, that to lose one of them would be an appalling tragedy and that you couldn't choose between them. They're all, they're all extraordinary, wonderful creatures. Um, and you say, well, so you know the truth already. You just don't want to apply it universally. <laughs> You're fine to apply it to, to, to children and maybe kittens or puppies or or... or what are those South America capybaras? But 
you're just not you're not happy to do that with people that vote differently than you. Okay, so so that what we've established is you already know the truth. You're just applying it inconsistently. As for getting different angles, you have to remember in early AA, they said um, they didn't have the big book in the first four years, uh, and even after that. Yes, they used the big book, but boy, did they use a whole load of other spiritual resources. It was basically you're buying up, uh, you're, you're, you're buying in to uh, a way of living, which is number one spirit, as it says in the doctor's opinion, spiritual and altruistic. Now, you can't impose someone's spirituality on them, but you can you can legitimately say you need to do some exploring, buster. You, you know, if you're a novice in this area, you need to put some time in, read some stuff, listen to some stuff, read some, uh, 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 watch some stuff, see what, investigate, you know, if you've got a, a little bit of religion in the past, maybe investigate that religion, investigate another religion, go to the local Buddhist center. Uh, and most people, if they start down that path, pretty soon, it, the, 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 these ideas the notion of alien ideas, which are actually helpful, becomes acceptable pretty quickly. But it's, it all goes back to that original willingness. If people are willing to look at things differently, then frankly, they'll swallow anything. <laughs> um, so there we go. Does that answer your question, James? Yes, thank you. Hey everyone, I'm Harry, I'm an alcoholic. Thanks, Tim, and thanks, James, for that question. Is it, maybe this is, this is kind of a counterpoint to what James just said, or extension. Um, so the, the, the most, I've taken a few people through step four now, and the most persistently difficult thing about guiding someone through it for me is most of the, peop most of the people I've taken through have some level of, like, let's call it sophistication, right? So and you said before, the, the difficulty with going through step four is not only are you doing the step four, you're also usually learning the step four while you're doing it. That makes it hard. One of the hardest things about, so I'm trying to get this into a concise question. My observation is that the difficulty in learning the technique is because people try to apply lots of pop psychology or psychology and therapy talk as we start to get into it. So the, the idea will come in that we need to be starting to peel away, they need to be starting to peel away layers of the onion. There'll also be other things about how we can't, this idea that we're selfish actually isn't very helpful at all because I've got such low self-esteem that we need, you know, I, we can't be doing this. So I think actually my, the core of my question is I'm, I'm always reluctant to try and persuade or convince people of things. Yes. And so, but we, when I get into this part of the program, I'm like, they get stuck because they want to do it their way. <laughs> and um I think there's enough questions. You're going to pick up some questions from that, Tim. Is that? Yeah. Nightmare. Okay. So one thing. Okay. Therapy. Let's. I don't know if we should turn off the recording for this. Maybe not. Um, I hope I'm not going to say anything too controversial. Um, the best. The best advice I've ever heard given. Uh, as to what you say to a sponsee that is about to do therapy. Great, go and do it. And what we will do, all the things you learn, bring them back here and we'll use them as information to plug into your step four and your step eight. So you're integrating the two, you're integrating the two things. Um, that covers most things, actually. So we'll take what you learn from therapy and we'll work the steps on it. How about that? Um, but where you have, you do have an occasional collision. And the low self-worth one is a good example. Uh, uh, and this can take, a, I, I suppose there are two ways of coming. There's one way of coming at this. And sometimes you have to do this. You say, look, you're trying to you're trying to adopt two systems for so solving your whole life at once, and that's not going to work. You might want to pick one for now. So this, the, doing the steps for uh, you know, six months 
just which is it takes if you do just do the steps and you really put your back into it you get up early on saturday and sunday you get up at 6 a.m you spend a few hours on step work you're done by 10 a.m you literally still have the whole day left but you've done four hours of step work you can get through it in three months that's not a huge sacrifice to put a pause on some other process frankly like you've been fucked up for 40 years another three months is not gonna another three months delay oh you're worried about that now or why didn't you go into therapy 30 years ago seriously now it's urgent um you can wait three months while you're doing this process and hopefully not die of alcoholism in the meantime or maybe go and do therapy and if it doesn't work come back here fine it's there's i'm not you know do whatever you want but try and do one thing. Don't try and ride two horses at once. If, if therapy is treated as a, now one, a friend of mine, and this I thought was super valid, the way into the inventories is through emotion, resentment, fear, and the sex inventory, guilt and shame. If you can't feel anything because you've so successfully dissociated for a decade or two you know the last thing you can remember feeling was in the middle of the first gulf war that kind of thing then therapy can be super helpful in getting you in touch with your feelings so that you can even start to do the inventories in the first place um if you want sometimes people go to therapy for a very very specific detailed purpose about a particular event or situation and that can be integrated very very easily i think the difficulty with therapy and it's not because the therapy is wrong or bad uh, quite, quite the reverse but where the therapy is attempting to inculcate a worldview and belief system that's where you have a problem because you're going to have a because you're trying to adopt a new worldview and belief system with the program. You can't do two at once unless they unless they're sort of interlocking like sort of, uh, Meccano pieces or something. And, and sometimes they are. Some, sometimes people go to a therapist who's like super spiritual, super 12 step. People go to therapists who are Course in Miracles practitioners. People go to therapists who are Christian or, or rabbis who are therapists. There are all sorts of things that people will do where it totally interlocks. But sometimes people go to therapy, and I've had friends who've been told this all the people in your life that upset you, you need to tell them what they're doing wrong to upset you. Now, that's a that's a legitimate approach except what results are you getting from doing that how's that going down is that working out well for you is that improving your relationships maybe it does some people report that literally helps but that's not been my experience um with the sometimes you have to resolve the collision a good example is the selfishness and the low self-worth thing um uh, with the with your if if any of you are in Al-Anon, I'm not going to out anyone, but if if any of you are uh, are in Al-Anon and you have Al-Anon sponsees, one of the big Al-Anon brokennesses is, is, oh, don't I mean my mother is a good example. You know how many how many French mothers does it take to change a light bulb? Oh, don't worry, you go out enjoy yourself with your friends. I'll sit here in the dark. Um, uh, the martyrdom. Like, uh, so not, not taking responsibility for yourself, neglecting yourself. And part of the solution is this dreaded word self-care. So actually doing, as a, so learning to say no to bullshit requests from crazy manipulative narcissists is a really helpful tool of recovery. But that's not selfishness. That's common sense. That's being a grown-up and not being a crazy unrecovered Alan on Marta. Um, selfishness, this is where you have to define the terms. Selfishness is illegitimately putting my interests ahead of other people's. Legitimately putting your interests ahead of other people's, totally fine. So sometimes people in AA say, you can call me anytime, day or night. Not me. 
when the phone goes off, it stays off. If you want someone, to, if you have crises at two in the morning, you're going to have to find someone who's up at two in the morning because I'm not. I'm not. So um, sometimes it's the, the reason you get a conflict is not because there's a conflict, but because the same terms are being used with different definitions. So uh, secondly, and this is a very common uh, this is a very common objection to doing step four. Um, it may come from therapy, it may come from somewhere else that you're being like super hard on yourself by doing this. Now, a couple of points. Um, first of all, we're not being hard on ourselves. What we're being hard on is the software that was loaded into us or was programmed by the family, the society, the power structures we grew up in. What we're inventorying is not us. We're inventorying the bullshit method of living, which has not worked. So if we feel bad about the things that we're finding on there, we've mistaken ourselves for it's like uh, you've mistaken yourself for your program you, programming you are not your programming so you're being hard on the on the bad wisdom suzanne vega line you've been what we're being hard on is the bad wisdom that was passed down on us we're, we're learning to look at that and saying okay these values that i was given like i i'll give you one when i was like 12 or something i came first in something and my mother said ah now you've come first in this. That means you can do it. That means you must come first every single time. And if you don't, it is because you did not try hard enough. <laughs> that was literally, this is not subliminal. This was not covertly telegraphed. This was explicitly set out as the principle I should live by. My job is to beat everyone else at everything the whole time and if I fail it's my fault because I'm lazy lazy um uh, by the way in my family you can always tell who the alcoholics are they're the people that my mother describes or other people describe as lazy if they're described as lazy they probably drink a little more than is strictly good for them anyway but the point is we're not being hard first of all we're not being hard on ourselves because we're we're it's like getting like if you got the plumber in to examine and fix your plumbing you wouldn't say oh don't get the plumber in he's going to criticize your plumbing and you your self-worth is bad enough already you don't want just live with the bad but it makes no sense and it makes no more sense here either secondly the purpose is to get past this crap the crap is there already and we're supposed to we're, we're not analyzing where we're, we're setting forth the stuff which is super apparent um the, the 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 one line you have to pull sometimes is um on page 58 um and you do this with i, I i've had sponsees i'm not going to name names i've had sponsees who whenever you say something and say yeah but you said last week or yeah but at hind at, at street they say or at Joys of Recovery, they say, or oh, my last sponsor said that, or Eckhart Tolle says that, or and they, they come back with something else. And it's suddenly your job to reconcile you, what you have just said with the aggregate of some weird hodgepodge of completely inconsistent ideas and belief systems that they've collected like a magnet that's been dragged through the junkyard of life for the last 50 years. And suddenly it's your job to reconcile the new idea with this whole kind of massive structure, like an explosion has gone off in, in, a, in a shipyard. No, 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 no. What you want to do is say, page 58, we had to let go of our old ideas. All of them. So whatever you've learned before, put it on the shelf, sister. If anything you've learned before is valuable, then over time, you'll figure out how, if and how it's consistent. Let's not try and reconcile it now. We're trying to set forth a new way of looking at things, and we need a blank sheet of paper to do it. If you pour something into a cup which is full of something already, you can't pour anything in. You can't. There's an important principle from Course in Miracles. You don't take truth to error. You take error to, and you place it 
in a bath of truth to wash it. And to give an image for that, if you've got a, a um, if you've got uh, dirty water and you add clean water to it, you don't. It doesn't clean the water. You just end up with more dirty water. So you've got you've uh, especially if people have got a lot of recovery behind them. It's always a nightmare sponsoring people who've been in AA for twenty years or thirty years because it's almost impossible to get the whole system set aside. That you have to do that, otherwise it ain't going to go in. So that's that's what I've got on those eighteen questions. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Um, if nobody else has got a question, I'd like to. Oh, Philip, and over to you. Oh, hi, and thanks so much, Tim. Just quickly, then. Um, so, are you essentially saying that the the spiritual awakening offered in step twelve? It says we're going to have one as the result of doing the steps. Um, is a change of mind about who I think I am. You're not. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The what what one lot. I mean it. I quote A Course in Miracles a lot because I happen to be reading it a lot. Like five years, I was reading something else and the same ideas would be pouring forth just in a different idiom. So whatever you read is just going to be the channel through which the ideas come. So this is not Course in Miracles specific. It just happens to contain some useful ideas which are found in all religions. Just a little legal disclaimer there. But what it talks about in A Course in Miracles is if you're on the battlefield, if you know, if you've ever felt in your life you're like you're in a battlefield. Um, if you're on the battlefield, you can't fix the battlefield. You need to be lifted above the battlefield. And first of all, two things happen. Once you're lifted above the battlefield, you can't be hurt by anything going on on the battlefield. Secondly, if you use your imagination a bit, you imagine the difference between being inside a battlefield and being above a battlefield. You know, it, to mention the Lord of the Rings again, the, the films, the scenes which are shot from within a battle, it's impossible to figure out what's going on. The scenes which are shot, shot from above the battlefield, you can totally see the strategies playing out. And it's exactly the same with our lives and with well, just the phenomenon of the material universe. If you're above the battlefield, suddenly you see what's going on. Or like in London, where you, you can't figure out how all the different tube stations relate to each other until you see a map and then it becomes clear. So I think the job of the 12 steps is to lift us above the battlefield so we can see things clearly. And then we can visit back in kind of non-corporeal form in the battlefield to get shit done, but without being hurt by it. That's the difference. So it's not that we don't, we don't separate ourselves from the material world. The material world is the place where the games get played out, the purpose is fulfilled, but it's from a recognition that our real home is elsewhere and we're just visiting back here. And that, that's a, there's Anne Lamott, Anne Lamott, L-A-M-O-T-T, uh, Anne Lamott, is very, very good on, on, the, on the philosophy of all of this in a very, very easy to read way. She, she refers to death as a fairly major change of address. Not even the most major, yeah, a fairly major change of address. So that, that's what I've got on that. Alistair, I think you had a question. Uh, I did, thank you. Um, was... Uh, regarding the sane and sound sex ideal, do you, um, with a, if you're uh, working with a sponsee, do you tend, do you go through that with them? Um, I've got a strong stomach, yes. Uh, although what what I tend to do, I've got some notes which I've compiled over the years from basically all the useful things I've ever been told by people who are in successful long-term relationships. So I, rather than getting people to come up with something themselves, I say, here, look at this, pick half a dozen things you might be useful from the list, and then let's just go with that. Uh, and then you end up with something pretty reasonable. And what you might want is, like, if they're single, ideals for dating, if they're, if they're in a relationship. The, so the, the sane and sound ideals have to be tailored to the situation the person is in. 
But if you give them stuff to pick from and stuff to read, I mean, um, there are people who are very good on relationships. Um, Rabbi Harold Kushner, uh, Manus Friedman. There are all sorts of other spiritual writers who write about relationships to get to read some stuff, to listen to some stuff and to get ideas from the outside not to try to figure it out themselves. Otherwise, they'll do what Mark Houston refers to as recreating yourself in your own image, just with this like spiritual glow about you. But essentially, you're still doing the same thing. So that's where you'll be careful of with the same and sound ideals. Thank you. Is there any other questions for Tim? I will just drop into the uh, chat is a uh, link to um, recordings uh, from our previous meetings where Tim shared and one from another non-speaker. Um, is there anyone else with a question? Should we, uh... Okay. Oh, Harry. Can I come in with just one specific one? So in the 12 and 12, is it under step four or under steps 10 and 11 is a specific suggestion to put assets along with defects? And I'm wondering if you've had, if, that, if you've ever found that helpful to do that sort of thing. I'll try and cover this quickly. Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> That's quick. Uh, but the reason why is because as soon as you are down with the notion that what you're it's like when you clean a flat you don't inventory the things which are already clean you find what is dirty and you clean what is dirty the notion that the 12 and 12 i think is spiritually off in all sorts of ways i my personal view is that the notion of original sin runs through the whole thing and i personally i find that a little bit poisonous and the idea that your your value is somehow a balance sheet of assets and liabilities and you have this horrible mixture of it's just awful it's awful the, a much better vision is that we're of infinite value but we just get stuff wrong a lot we just make some mistakes we make some really big mistakes but that's only because you know we can be a bit dumb and we can be misled and frightened and so on uh, that's it's a totally different the, the spiritual model is totally different between the 12 and 12 and the big book and you cannot reconcile the two there are bits which are useful in the 12 and 12 but the underlying philosophy is hardcore catholic philosophy which came from father ed dowling it's it's strictly denominational one tiny thing on low self-worth there is such a thing as low self-worth uh uh and you get it in people who are treated very badly and believe they deserve it. That's low self-worth in almost every, and I've sponsored people who are like that. And that requires a huge amount of encouragement and nurturing and building the ability to withstand attack and the ability to set boundaries of all sorts of different natures. But what you largely get in alcoholics is it, it feels like low self-worth, but it's the, it's the uh, someone said about Americans that no American believes that he or she is actually poor. They consider themselves to be temporarily embarrassed millionaires, that the right, the rightful place, and this isn't the 12 and 12, which American boy doesn't want to be the president. The idea is, is, is a very common one, that what feels like low self-worth is a feeling of guilt, shame, and embarrassment because I haven't managed to outdo everyone else, which is my true place. Um, so Clancy describes this perfectly. Uh, he says, if you treat me special, I feel okay. If you treat me okay, I feel terrible. And the way to test whether it's low self-worth or hurt pride for a failure to live up to your ambitions to dominate the entire world is to say, okay, do you find the following statement a threat or a comfort? You are perfectly average. You are perfectly ordinary. You do not stand out in any way. You are one of the crowd. You are simply one of 7 billion people on the planet uh, with the usual mix of, of you know, uh, joys and problems. Uh, 
neither not particularly remarkable, neither for great virtues or great defects. In other words, you are simply an ordinary human being. Someone who's got no self-worth is that's going to be a, that's going to be healing ointment. Someone that's got hurt pride will be that you know, the sneer which will creep across their face when you try that one on. Then you find out the nature of the beast, what's really going on. Thanks, Tim. Um, and with that, I'll, uh, I'll ask if you, uh, if you could close the meeting with the uh, serenity prayer, please. Yes, would you please help me close with the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity. Things I cannot change. Courage, change things I can. Courage, the difference. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you. Thank you.